0: David Souter stands up and sings like that. <laughs> well, you know he has all these talents in his family, but he was hiding one. <laughs> Appreciate that. <coughs> he is a God who saves, and he sure is a God of love. We've been talking about power, and I don't think there's anything more powerful than God's love in the whole world. And um, so, since we're heading toward Valentine's Day, I thought I'd talk about the power of love. It's a daunting attempt. I mean, it's really kind of to stand up here and say, I'm going to tell you all about love. It's unrealistic. You can't. You can't. The, the Bible mentions love 504 times in the scripture. In other words, it's filled with love. It's filled with the message of love. And there's such, I mean, there's such a breadth of, you know, the width of love and trying to do that, you know, that's impossible. I'm not even going to try unless you want to stay here for a couple months and we could work on it. But, but we're not going to do that. We're going to take a look at some aspects of love. My my first question to you is, don't you love love? Do you love love? Um, Yeah, I know, the reason I feel like maybe I only got a little bit of a response on that, um, because sometimes love hurts, doesn't it? In fact, not only does love hurt, love costs you. If you love, if you truly love, It'll cost you in life. I think the rewards of love are greater than its costs, but sometimes the pain of love can cause people not to, you know, venture down that road too often in loving. And um, but the the problem is we think we need someone to love us, but actually we need somebody to love. Like the Beatles saying, I need somebody to love. <coughs> Only a few of you would remember that. <coughs> but there is a love song, right, for everything you talk about love. I mean, the, that you, you just Google love songs and songs with love in it, and uh, you'll never get through that list. It's huge. That's what everybody sings about. We sing about love. Um, But, I mean, the breath of love. I I mean, we use this word so um, frequently, and and sometimes it has great meaning. And sometimes we're uh, actually, I think right now people are using the word love you more than I can remember. I mean, that was, we would use the word, you know, you know. Like you and that kind of thing, but now strangers will say you know you you're you're at the grocery store, and the uh, cashier will say, Love you <laughs> yeah yeah <coughs> now when it's said to me, they're saying it to an old man, <coughs> and they're <coughs> but but it we 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 use it, you know. How many love In-N-Out burgers? (coughs) Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. How many love your spouse? (coughs) Do you love your spouse like you love your In-N-Out burger? (laughs) Do you love your In-N-Out burger more than you love your spouse? (coughs) Hopefully not, right? There is a difference. It's the same word. We... We use it in so many different ways, but um, the love that the scripture refers to is a greater love it's and in fact it's it's so important in our life that the The Bible actually tells us to do everything with love, do everything in love, we do everything with love and. The Bible says that it is the most excellent way to live your life. The, uh, the, 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 the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, um, it says, yet I show you a more excellent way. Or, I'm sorry, 1, 1 Corinthians 12. And it says at the end, after talking about all the gifts of this you know the different kinds of gifts gifts of the spirit all the power gifts talking about miracles and things after all of that he says let me tell you something that's more important than looking for the power operating in the power of god and you know we teach that it's important it's valuable we want to you know God to use us to flow through us and do powerful things through us. And we want God to do powerful things in us and all of that. But he said, let me tell you what's above that. Love. That love is superior to power. In fact, love is more powerful than power, if you can say it that way. Now, of all the 504, you know, scriptures that have love, talk about love, I chose these two. And so to jump, kind of jump, start this uh, message, and that is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 34. Jesus is speaking. He says, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, when you first read that, that seems kind of strange. A new commandment I give to you. What's new about that? In fact, God has spoken that through the, the Old Testament. We have, we have the to the the two great commandments given to us in the Old Testament that are preeminent, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and, your, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those God has already given us. What is new about this message? When he says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. The next phrase gives us insight. And it gives us a little bit of insight into the love that God wants, to, wants us to live under. To, to operate in. It says as I have loved you. See that kind of love has never been experienced before. That's, that, that's why he says a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, not like, listen, it's pretty daunting to hear, you know, God say that you need to love him with all your mind, you know, mind, soul, strength, and with everything that's in you. Then he says, no, I'm giving you a new one. It's greater than that. It's a higher level of love than what you have experienced or thought of or seen in your life. As I have loved you... You're to love one another. By this, you will know that they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Why is Jesus' love superior? There's never been anyone who has loved like Jesus loved. Say why? Because because he died. Did he sacrifice? Because he sacrificed for us. Other people have sacrificed because of love, plenty of times, right? People lay down their lives for, for family, for nation, for people. So, why is his love greater? Because no time in history did God ever lay down his life for you or anyone. That's a higher level. Why? Because God is so much higher than us. He, the, the, the distance between God and, and us is far greater than the distance between us and anyone else. And God did that. And that kind of love, he says, this is the kind of love, I ha- this is the new commandment, I want you to love like this, because, and this is what it's gonna be, this is what will identify you. See, love identifies us as followers of Christ. Up until this time, a disciple was identified because they saw them physically following Jesus. Jesus would, you know, go into the temple and they'd be right with them. Jesus would go, you know, up on a hillside or into the desert. Wherever Jesus went, they went. They would see Jesus would start teaching in the crowds. His disciples were there. That's how they knew. Yeah, those are one of his disciples. We've seen them. We've seen them with Jesus. But now... Now there's going to be a new way in which people will see and identify who the disciples are. Because Jesus is leaving. He's not going to be here physically for people to say, oh, that's the disciple of Jesus. We see him following him. How will they identify their love? And their love for one another. He says, you're going to know, they will know because of your love for one another. Now, I wish that was the case in every situation. I, I wish that was the case now. I, I don't believe that most people, non-believers, in, for instance, in our nation, when they think of a Christian, how do they identify a Christian? I don't believe they identify Christians because they have this great love for one another. That's not the way they identify. In fact, a lot of people identify Christians by what they don't like. Well, the way they see it, right? That's a Christian, and this is what they're against. That's how we're identified by what we're against. And yet, Jesus wants us to be identified by our love for one another. That when people see, and and the, the early church did this well. How they did it, and is that wherever they were in the marketplace and you know in their 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 neighborhood gatherings and prayer meetings and so forth people saw that they had this tremendous amount of love for each other they cared for one another people in the neighborhood who knew a christian knew that if that christian got sick or that christian had a problem or that christian had a need well the the other christians were there for them they were caring for them and that was the identifying mark not what they were against. See, too much of the church is seen today by its division. And it's interesting. The early church had its division too. They had their They had their. They had their disagreements. You know, they had those that were. You know, I'm, I'm Paul and Paulus and Silas and. You know, they they had their their. Kind of denominational separations, a little bit different. But they weren't identified by those things. Their love for one another was such a preeminent, you know, visual to the community and the world that they lived in that they knew that they were Christians because of the way they acted toward one another and that was God's goal that's what was God's desire that they would know because of the way they loved one another so Jesus was talking about a different level of love you understand it's not the love of an in and out burger as good as they are it's not that love it's a love that's so much higher it's more than the love of of a, a husband and wife. It's a love that God had and God has for us. The love that was revealed in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna take you to another portion of scripture that people look at and say this is kind of the, the message on love. And you might want to show you something a little different maybe than the way you've seen it if you have read this story before. And it has to do with the command of love. He commands us to love. And the question was in Luke chapter 10 verse 25 is behold a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And um, he said to him what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And he said said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So, and he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. I want to hear what's going on. The man is asking, how do I inherit eternal life? There are several times in the scripture, what, what, what? question is more important than that one right what do i do to inherit eternal life i don't think there's a bigger more important question what do i do and we see it in several occasions for instance uh, the um rich young ruler he asked that question he says what shall i do to inherit eternal life and jesus response to him was sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me that was jesus response to him nicodemus uh religious leader, came to Jesus. And he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He says, you must be born again. That's how, you, you, have to, you have to have that. Now, this guy is asking, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him what's written in the law, and he gives it to him. You know, love the Lord, thy God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to think what that means. To love God with all, your, all of your might, all of your soul, everything is what he's saying. Do you love God if your salvation is, is um, resting upon what Jesus said to this man, how are you going to do? Do you love God with all your might, strength, all of your soul, all of your heart? Do you love God in that way? And if that doesn't sink you, then the next one will. Do you love God? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Now I'm I'm done if if that's what I have to do to inherit eternal life, because though I love a couple of my neighbors, I'm okay with a couple. I don't love any of them like I love myself. I love me more than them. I don't know, maybe you guys, you, you've, you, you've reached that pinnacle of love. But, but I'm done, right? I, I'm had. If that is how I inherit eternal life. And I think Jesus is getting a point across. It's a similar point to what he get, did with the rich young ruler. Because if you look at the next part of that verse, that text that says, Jesus says, you have, he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and live, right? You did it, you got it right, now do it and live. And this guy's going, whoa. He's doing what I do, No, whoa. And so then it says, and he wanting to justify himself. He wasn't humble enough to go, you know I fall short. So he tries to justify himself and says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? See, he wants to narrow it down. Okay, My neighbor is the guy next to me. Maybe I could do some good things for him. And, and maybe this guy on the other side. But you know, who is my neighbor? He wants to narrow it down. And Jesus broadens it out. He, 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 he expands that circle. And he tells the story of you know, the, the good Samaritan. The story of a man who goes down the road of Jericho, gets beaten up, and and the religious leaders, both the priests and the Levi, pass by on the other side and don't do anything. And, and then finally a, the good Samaritan comes, takes care of his wounds, probably rips up his own clothes, takes out from what we would estimate um, that he gave about two months worth of. Um, of rent for him to stay in the hotel that he was at and be cared for. And then says, whatever else he needs, I'll take care of that. So he gives a huge amount. I, Jesus tells a story, the kind of story that, that stretches you, even if you're a generous person, you're going, this is a stranger, I don't know who he is, but I'm gonna, how many, and, and Jesus doesn't say, you know, maybe you do that once in your life. What Jesus is saying is, this is how you live your life. And he's doing that, I believe, in order for this this lawyer who's trying to justify himself to come to the place and he's to say, I can't do that. I'm incapable of loving at that level. And if my eternal life, if, if my salvation is weighing on that, if that's what, what it, you know, if that's what I'm standing on, then I'm in big trouble. And that is really the point. That you're in big trouble. If that's the answer. But why didn't Jesus just say, listen, believe upon me. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die for your sins. Believe on me, and you'll be saved. Because you have to be saved from something. And if you're not saved from your sins, what are you saved from? And Jesus, the the salvation is predicated on the first recognition and acknowledgement that you need a Savior. A lot of people think they need just a helper, kind of a religious Santa Claus kind of thing. You know, so we we talk about that, right? And Jesus offers great, I mean, the benefits of salvation are wonderful, but the benefits don't replace the rescue. It doesn't replace what God is rescuing us from or saving us from. The fact is, if it comes to, that, we do not understand the depth of our sin. One of the things that will break my heart, you know, has broken my heart many times over the years. When someone has come and they're just heartbroken. And they'll just say, you know, there's something in their past, obviously, that they feel like is too bad for God to save them or forgive them. And I'll hear people say that. You know, I just I don't I just don't know if Jesus can f- forgive me. You know. And and they're looking back at a painful experience, a, a rebellion time in their life or whatever. I don't know if Jesus can forgive me. And that feeling that they're having is because they kind of have this level of of sin that, you know, maybe the God's grading on a curve, and I'm at the bottom of the curve, and so I'm out of, you know, at this level you get a C, passing grade, and then at this level you don't, and I have things in my life that I'm definitely in failure mode, and God is, and of course you always want to say to them, no, no, you're, you're discounting what Jesus did when he died on the cross for you. You're discounting how powerful it was for the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from all your sin. But there's another aspect, and there's a reason why some people will feel that when, if you're looking at it that way, everyone should feel that way. We've all fallen way short See, what happens is someone that has this idea in their mind, they think that other people maybe they still need Jesus, but they've just fallen a little bit short. You know, like, here's perfection, and they've just, you know, they just have a few little things that, so they're close, and it's easy for them to get saved because their salvation, you know, they haven't done that much, so there's just not a lot of forgiveness that's needed. But then you know I'm in the case where you know I'm so far down, I don't believe I don't I don't know that Jesus could forgive me. And what they think, and for those of us or those of you who think, you know, m- maybe that, you know, God's forgiven me, I'm grateful for that, but never get to the place where you've ever felt like Paul did I'm the chief of sinners. Never, it's because we don't understand the depth. That, and the horror of sin. We we don't we don't understand it. We don't understand. We think sometimes those little things that we've done, those little deceptive things, those little lies, those you know, where things that we've taken our mind to that we shouldn't have, or whatever they are, they're they're not quite that bad. Or whatever I've done isn't you know I haven't really killed anybody lately. <laughs> so I'm kind of okay. And that these other sins are, they're really bad. And so, well, here's the thing. Sin is so deep. It's so horrible that we don't get it. I was telling the deeper class of the the. Story of Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton. You know, you, you know, one of the greatest minds that this world has ever produced. I mean, he invented calculus. I mean, and some some of you remember that in school and hated him for doing that. Right? <laughs> but, but, um this this brilliant mind. Um, he was, by the way, um, more of a theologian than he was even a um, than than he was. Um, a mathematician so He's he's really Yeah, thank you He he's he was a brilliant theologian Uh, In fact his writing on his writing on end times I I have I have his book and he actually does a mathematical thing trying to Predict the return of Christ which I don't think anybody can do that even him But we're close to the time he says it's going to happen, right? so anyhow he um, he had this dog that was kind of a not very uh, obedient, and it used to gnaw on the table in which he worked on, gnaw on the on the leg. So he thought he had it kind of trained not to do that anymore, and he had left the room for a while with months of of his work. Right, it's not on a. It's not on the cloud somewhere, it's it's on one place, a piece of paper, papers. Months of work, mathematical equation work that he was doing. And he left a candle on it. And the dog ate through the leg of the table and it fell over and caught fire and burned up all of his work. So he comes back and the dog's there wagging his tail, (laughs) hung out, you know, all happy. And, uh, and he says to the dog, you have no idea what you've done. You have no idea. And, and what can you tell? A dog. He can't, you know, he couldn't. The dog has no idea, and will never have an, any idea of what he's done. And then relates that to us. You have no idea what you've done. You have no idea. Our sin is much broader than we think and it affects more than we think it does. It's incredibly destructive. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. The love of God, even when we don't know, even when we do know how damaging, the love of God cleanses us from all of our sin. And that's the point. And until, you know, he's he's telling this lawyer who, he's saying, you can't get there. What do I do to inherit eternal life? You can't do anything. You're incapable. You don't even know how you keep non on the table. You have no idea. What you've done, but so it can't be a do, it's be a done in Christ. It was done in Jesus Christ. He paid the price. The love of God. See that that brings and the empowerment. This is what empowers us. It's that that what Christ has already accomplished. And the command to love is a command. Not for salvation, it's a command out of salvation. It's not a command to please God, it's a a command because we've already pleased God. You see, I don't have to work for this approval of God. I have it already in Christ. We have it in him. And because he loves us already, now there's power, and I, I just let me just take us to this. He empowers us to love, and he does it two ways. Number one, I'm going to go quickly on this. Number one, by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. According to this verse, how do we get love? The Holy Spirit pours love into our heart. The love of God is poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. So the love comes by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit is the, you know, is the third person of the triune Godhead who pours out love, God's love, into our hearts and through our lives. So the more you have of the Holy Spirit in you, the more love you're going to be able to, you know, to, 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 ex, to receive and to express, to give out. The capacity to love increases with the increase of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's why the Bible says for us to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, to be filled, refilled, refilled. In, by the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians tells us. Singing and worshiping and getting close to God and asking God to fill us up. And as he fills us up, we are have the capacity then to love more. Have you ever been in a service? I know I've been even in our, in our church. We've been in times where we were in prayer or in a worship time where you felt like the power of the Holy Spirit was moving on us so strongly. You could cut it. I mean, just the love of God. And at that point, when it's happening what you just want to give everybody a hug you know it's just it's just it's just in you and it's flowing through you and and it's god is giving you that my 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 pastor when i was growing up used to say that he'd say man i feel the love of god so much i think i'd if the devil showed up i'd give him a hug you know and i would say i would say um well i think uh, not me I, i'm not there yet you know but you know the, the, the point. You know the point. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, your capacity increases to love. But it's not just that. Love is, it's, Loving us unconditionally as God does give us, gives us a greater capacity to love. He gives us such a greater capacity to love because he loves us. And we didn't earn it. And He loves us unconditionally. He He loves you. Let me let me put it this way: the greatest earthly love that you can have is comes from someone who knows you the most, knows you mo, more fully, most fully. Right? That's that's where love because. If you don't have to hide anything from them, the the more they know of you, the the, the least you have to hide, and they accept you and love you, now that's a deeper love. If you hide something in love, and, and you're afraid that that person will find out, and if they find out, they will not love you as much, or love you at all. If you have that, then that's not a very deep love. And so, here's the point. God knows everything about you. He knows of every stinking thought that you've allowed to just permeate in your mind. He, he's a, he knows every action that you've ever done, That everything. He knows the worst of you, the absolute worst of you, and he still loves you. And he knew, knows, here's what you don't know. He knows what you don't know. He knows what you're going to do that might cause others to push away. He knows what failures you're going to have already before you have them, so you don't even know how bad you are. And he loves you anyhow. Now, you can't find love like that from anyone else. Only God can give you that kind of love. And if you have... That, like, that kind of love that, you know, that comes to you, that, that you have that and you know that, then you can live better. See, no one has to tell me that I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm absolutely confident. <laughs> but I'm confident. I'm com- he loves me. He knows everything about me. And he still loves me. So here, he fills me with love. And though I love to be loved, and you love to be loved by people, that's just icing on the cake. I mean, you, you're already full with love. Because he loves you. So you don't need the love. You might enjoy it. But you don't need it because you already are filled with the love of God. So this is what you, can, you do. That love, your relationship, your loving other people, isn't because you need it. It's because his love flows through you. Because if you need it, and you're needy, then what you're doing is you end up loving other people... So they'll love you. <clears throat> and it really, it's not the full, fullest kind of love. It's more of a, I get something from you, so I give something to you. And I'll give something to you in hope that you'll give something to me. You know what that produces? A lot of hurt. Because you'll love people and they might not return it. Or they'll return it for a while until they don't need it anymore because they have someone else and then you're in that place. So, your love is always tentative and it is always fearful because you need it. Jesus comes along and he says, You can have the fullest love of all. I know you completely and I love you completely. So, you don't have to have any other love. You get to have other love. It's fine, but it isn't necessary for your life. If you have God's love. And that's where the power comes. You can love people who will never love you back. In fact, you should. We should be loving people who can never give anything back. Because you might look at this, you know, love and go, "Well, how can I just love everybody? You know, love your neighbors as yourself." I mean, how I can't I can't take care of everybody. I can't I can't o- always be on, you know, taking care of everybody else's needs. How can I do that? No, you can't. But you can t- you can love somebody. You might not get to love, you know, everybody in your neighborhood like yourself, but you can love somebody. Right? Probably love more than one. And you can make a difference in people's lives. Because that's... What God's asking us to do. I want to read a story. It's lengthy. But I'm going to read it fast. Okay. The man. Um, the writer. Kent Na- Nabern. Is his name. And he's, he's, a, he's an author. But he said this. There was a time in my life. 20 years ago. When I was driving a cab for a living. What I didn't count on when I took the job was that it was a ministry. Because I drove the night shift, my cab became a rolling confessional. <laughs> Passengers would climb in, sit behind me in total an- anonymity and tell me of their lives. I was responding to a call from a small brick, uh, from a small brick fourplex in a quiet part of, of town. When I arrived at the address, the building was dark, except a single light in a ground floor window. Under these circumstances, many drivers would just honk once or twice, wait for a short minute, then drive away. Too many bad possibilities await a driver who went up to a darkened building at 2.30 in the morning. <clears throat> but, I, but I had seen too many people trapped in a life of poverty, who depended on a cab as their only means of transportation. So unless the situation had real riff of danger, I always went to the door to find the passenger. Um, So I walked to the door and knocked. Just a minute answered a frail and elderly voice. I could hear the sound of something being dragged across the floor after a long pause. The door opened. A small woman somewhere in her 80s stood before me. She was wearing a pink dress and a... pillbox hat and a veil pinned on it, like you might see in a costume store or a Goodwill store in the 1940s movie. By her side was a small ni- nylon suitcase. The sound had been her dragging it across the floor. The apartment, as if, if no one had lived in it for years, all of the furniture was covered with sheets. There were, there were no clocks on the walls. No uh, knickknacks or utensils on the counters. In the corner was a cardboard box filled with um, photos and glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the car? She said, "I'd like I'd like a few moments alone. Then, if then if you could come back and help me, I'm not very strong." I took the suitcase to the cab and then returned to assist the woman. She took my arm, and we walked slowly toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I would want my mother treated. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. Her (laughs) praise and and appreciation were almost embarrassing. When we got in, in the cab, she gave me an address, then asked, could you drive through the downtown it's not, it's not the, sh- the short way, I answered, trying to save her on travel expense. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I-, I don't have any family left, she continued. The doctor says I should go there. So he says, I, I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like to go, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator oper- operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they had first been married. She, she had me pull up in front of the furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dan- dancing as a, as a girl sometimes she would have uh, have me slow in front of a particular building or corner would sit staring into the darkness saying nothing as the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon she suddenly said i'm tired let's go now we drove in silence to the address she had given me it was a low building like a small convalescent home with a driveway that passed under the portal Two, two orderlies came out of the cab as soon as we pulled up. Without waiting for me, they opened the, the door and began assisting the woman. They were, solici- uh, uh, they were uh, intent, watching her every move. They, they must have been expecting her. Perhaps she had phoned them the night before we left. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase up to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair How much do I owe you, she asked. I reached, uh, she reaching into her purse. Nothing, I said. You have to make a living, she answered. There are other passengers, I respond. Almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she she said. Thank you. There was nothing more to say. I squeezed her hand once and walked out into the dim morning light. Behind me, I could hear the door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I did not pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought. For the remainder of the day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver, one who was impatient to end his shift? What if... I had refused to take the run or or had honked once and then driven away. What if I had been in a foul mood and had refused to engage a woman in conversation? How many other moments like that had I missed or failed to grasp? We're so conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments, but great moments often catch us unaware when that woman hugged me and said that I had brought her a moment of joy, it was, it, it, it was possible to believe that I, I had been placed on earth for the sole purpose of providing her with that last ride. I do not think that I have ever done anything in my life that was more important. People, People are hurting. There's a lot of broken people. And there are people... Around you. And some of you are living. You're, you're in a tough place in your life. And you have a, a lot of pain. In your life. But there are people. Who have more pain. There are people who have more difficulty. And there are people who need the love of God. That you have. If Christ is in you. <clears throat> See. When we Love. Love. empowers us. There's power that comes because the Bible said love never fails. And uh, the scripture tells us this. It says that when we're rooted and grounded in love, we will understand the depth of God's love more. So God gives us love. We allow that love to function through our lives. And the more we're grounded in love, God's love and our love that God reveals his love even more to us and it becomes a growing cycle. We may never get to the place where we love God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength or love our lover, neighbor fully as ourselves. But if that if that cycle is perpetuated and perpetuated in our life, if we continue we're loving God, we're allowing his love to flow through us, we are grounded in love and we're sharing that love more and more of God's love and the understanding of his true love grows in our life. It becomes a snowball effect. It just goes downhill growing. And I believe that's what God desires for us. He he gave his Holy Spirit to fill us. He gives us, continually gives us unconditional love. And then we look and go, how can I touch somebody today? It might not be in the biggest way, But we wake up in the morning, we say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to love today like you love. Would you risk praying that prayer daily? Help me to love today like you have loved me. Risk that prayer and see what God does to us. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you today for your great love. And I... I ask today, Lord, for those who are here that, Lord, they're distant from you. There are people who have never given their life to you. They're sitting in this building, and you've called them today. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, today's your day. Jesus wants to come into your life. He wants to cleanse you from all of your sin. He wants to give you a brand new start, a new life in him. He wants to take you into the place where you were, what you were created for, his purposes in your life. And if you'd like that, if you'd like to receive Christ, I'm going to ask you just to simply pray this prayer. You can just kind of mutter this to God right now. Just say, dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for me, Jesus, and that you were buried and that you rose again. I receive you as my Savior. I ask you to cleanse my soul of every sin. Wash me clean. And I choose to follow you. So I ask you to help me in this journey. I pray, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. If you prayed that, before you leave, I, I hope you'll meet us across into through those double doors right there. And we'll give you... A Bible and some information will help you get your start with Jesus and pray for you. If you're a guest, also we have some, a gift for you. and hope that we can connect somehow. It's also through that door, one side, the other. We'll, we'll, we'll direct you on that. but um, We have a lot of doors. And that door right there is a prayer room. And if you have any prayer needs, there's a group of people who have a lot of faith.